0: And welcome everybody to another episode of going for two presented by home field apparel um i'm your host matt brown publisher of the extra points newsletter part of the d1 ticker family uh my colleague and co-host brian fisher is unable to join us today uh we've been doing a bunch of other video content and weren't able to find a time to get everybody here on the same page but don't worry you're not going to be stuck just listening to me for 45 minutes I wanted to bring in another old friend of mine, an old colleague of mine, Mike Rutherford, runs Card Chronicle. Uh, He's another Louisville area radio host. Uh, When Mike and I worked together at SB one of the columns that he did every year, which I loved and deeply appreciated, not just as an editor, but as a consumer, was a, a, a post to recap everything that's been happening with men's college basketball, specifically aimed at the college sports fan who has been mostly just paying attention to college football and is just kind of rejoining the world. In mid-February. right now, definitely the end of the football season. The games are all over except for the Super Bowl. We had national signing day, days are now are now done. Uh, maybe Auburn makes a coaching change. Maybe they don't. Uh, that's kind of a, a perennial thing for for Auburn. Uh, but the, the our, our nation's sport college sporting eyes are now shifting to men's and women's basketball primarily. So I wanted to bring Mike on. To help explain some of those major storylines that maybe a filthy casual like me or somebody who's had their head down in other parts of college sports might have missed, uh, explaining uh, Auburn and Gonzaga and uh, teams that maybe we weren't expecting to be good and what mid major programs you should keep an eye on. And uh, I'm also going to talk for 25 minutes and, and completely space on the fact that this is Coach K's last season, because I assumed all of you already knew about that, but it's probably worth uh, bringing up here again. Um, so let's uh let's bring on Mike and, and help uh break some of this stuff down here for us. Uh Mike, hey, thanks, thanks so much for hopping on here. It's uh it's been it's been a long time since I've had a chance to talk to you and it's it's great to have you on the show. Of course, man. I couldn't be happier to be here. Um I I let me ask you with maybe we can start here with a dumb question because I I, I thought back about that column you did for Espionation for a long time where you'd reintroduce the nation to college basketball once college football is finally over, and I I certainly find myself in that boat. So I'm looking here about what's going on. Let me ask you a dumb question. Number one, did we expect Auburn as a country to be this good this year, or are they a year ahead of schedule or what happened? We shouldn't have been. I mean,
1: Auburn to their credit, they know exactly how to handle, uh, shall we say, NCAA issues seamlessly. They, 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 uh, you know, they, they did a fantastic job. And last year they made maybe the smartest move of any of the teams that have gotten caught up in this FBI deal, which I think, you know, first hit all of our news feeds in, in 2002. Uh, I believe that's when it was uh, first starting. But yeah. It, it, it no, feels I, like it's been two decades now. But uh, Auburn made the right call because you know, they had a, a couple of really good teams in the years immediately following getting caught up in the FBI stuff. And Bruce Pearl has it rolling. I mean, no questions about the man's ability to coach and to land recruits. And yeah. so last year, it, it seemed like it was probably going to be the most down year that Auburn has had in recent seasons. Also, you had COVID. There was no guarantee that the NCAA tournament was even going to be played. So Auburn does what a smart program does in that situation and self-imposes a postseason ban for that specific tournament. And, uh, you know, the the team was just kind of okay last year. They probably wouldn't have made the NCAA tournament anyway. And now they get that out of the way. They finally hear back from the NCAA a couple of months ago, and they're pretty much in the clear. And they're rolling. Um, Bruce Pearl has perhaps, I, I think, I use the word likely number one pick in the upcoming NBA draft in Jabari Smith. They've got a bunch of holdovers um, from the team last year that I thought competed pretty well, given their circumstances. And it seems like, I mean, we're talking about Auburn basketball, potentially being in a position to make a second final four in four seasons. Uh, It feels very, very strange, but given how close they were, to upsetting Virginia in 2019 and potentially winning that national title. Maybe it shouldn't surprise us that we're sitting here and heading towards mid-February and staring down Auburn as the number one team in the country. Although they have shown a couple of, uh, you know, glimpses into potentially, I won't use the word fraud, but there have been a couple of leaks that we've spotted in in recent weeks, almost losing to uh, Tom Crane's woeful Georgia team the other night, probably being the biggest one. But still, yeah. I, I uh, certainly were, a force.
0: They were they were they were down a couple of players in there, right? But but I mean, going the whole season and only losing one or two games is hard, even if you have better talent than everybody you're facing. But I I I I, I, I see I see what you mean. May, may, maybe this is a team that maybe not every single person is going to write in pen. Uh, in their in their brackets but partly because of the name on the front of the jersey yeah
1: i think that that's possible i think people also want to see them play this is where the sec scheduling kind of screwed up here Uh, the kentucky game was the big showdown kentucky gets you know arguably their best player hurt about midway through that game yeah Um, they were already down another backcourt mate and kentucky being fully healthy with ty ty washington rolling now and uh, severe willer it seems like they've got two elite point guards they've got maybe the best backcourt in the entire country and they've been phenomenal basically since that Auburn game which they still were right there in despite being uh two guys down and and kind of getting in foul trouble I think a lot of people would love to see those two teams play again in Rupp Arena but it's not going to happen because the SEC didn't schedule it that way so the rubber match between uh Kentucky and Auburn is not possible there could be a second meeting in the SEC tournament but that's the game that I think people really want to see Auburn play uh but since we're not going to get it we just have to to live with with the uh, the SEC schedule they've been dealt, but hopefully we can get those two teams matched up again in the postseason, and I think that will give us a better indication of
0: how far we should advance the Tigers in our uh, NCAA tournament brackets. You know, speaking of teams that maybe America hasn't had a chance to actually watch play, uh, or a, as much as maybe they'd like, I want to talk about Gonzaga real quick. You know the. the bringing in a, a very un-Gonzaga-like recruiting class. You had some of the, you know, I, even somebody like me, an extremely casual men's college basketball fan, had heard of Chet. Uh, and I had watched the team a little bit in the beginning of the season and I w- wasn't seeing a guy that looked like a top five NBA draft pick. Uh, I know that they, they've, they've barely played any road games. They had a couple of cancellations. You're the, they're the top Ken Palm team right now. Is this a national championship contender? Is this about what, what Gonzaga was expected to be? Or is the jury still out a little bit on this team?
1: I think it's absolutely a national title contender. I, I think we're going to have the same exact discussion about Gonzaga that we've been having for 45 bleeping years at this point. Uh, once awesome. we get to Love March, <laughs> because yeah. they're going to have the gaudy record. Um, I, yeah. I think that they could absolutely lose a game or two in the West Coast Conference. San Francisco is very good this year. Yeah. Uh, BYU is good. St. Mary's is, as always, rock solid. Would not be shocked at all if they dropped uh, at least one game to one of those uh, three teams. But having said that we're still going to be in the position of them probably being a number one seed when all said and done and the rest of the country saying, well, I'm picking Gonzaga to lose in the first weekend. Cause they never make it out. Neglecting the fact that they've played in the national title game twice in the last uh, six years. Yeah. It's uh, they're absolutely capable of getting it done. I think the concern is it's twofold. I mean, Chet Holgram is putting up numbers. I, I think Jeff Goodman put out there like a, a series of stats that he's put up that quite literally nobody has ever put up in the history of college basketball. Seems but good when he's playing against more physical teams, like we saw at the beginning of the year, he has been a a little bit limited. Uh, I mean, I I think that you can, the the lasting image in everybody's minds when it comes to Gonzaga, and whether this is fair or not, I can't say, is them looking like they were just bullied by Baylor in that national title game last year. I mean, Baylor, from start to finish, looked superior, they looked stronger, and they looked like, even with Drew Timmy, who had dominated the tournament up to that point, they look like they had guys that just, you know, we're not going to let you treat us like Portland or Pepperdine or one of these West Coast conference teams. And I think yeah. that uh, has stuck with people a lot. And, and the issues for Gonzaga are still probably that. Uh, I mean, Chet Holmgren, rail thin. It's, it doesn't take a basketball genius to say, even though he's sort of a unicorn type player, if you get him in the post and you're just a bigger, brawnier dude. Yeah. You can limit his effectiveness. It's why it helps that he has Drew Timmy down there with him. Uh, Andrew Nemhart's still one of the best point guards in the country, still getting it done. The Florida transfer, he's been fantastic for them. So yeah. I, I think that they're great, but I think we're going to have the exact same debates about them this March that we've had for you know, seemingly the last decade and a half or so
0: so and that's always one of the I mean this is something we see with college football too it can be frustrating where it's the same teams and we're rehashing the same kind of storylines no one's had to make up a new joke since 2014 because oh <laughs> well, you know I mean there's there's Alabama Clemson Ohio State and everything and, and this year you know you you have you have an excellent Kentucky squad Your defending national champion Baylor looks great Kansas looks great um is there anybody that seems to have maybe come out of nowhere, other than maybe Auburn, and Auburn still been in that conversation, you know, recently too, to be, uh, you know, an, an above average team, a, a five seed or or or, or above that maybe America is not as familiar with? I, I was thinking maybe Washington State, but there, maybe there are some better examples. <laughs> I, I think uh, the one that comes to my mind is Texas Tech, just because. You know, they
1: lose some of the talent from the last a uh, couple of years from the, the, yeah. the rosters that have made them so formidable and in such a force in the Big 12. And then probably more importantly and more notably, they lose Chris Beer to arch rival Texas. And, you know, Texas loads up on talent. They bring back all their but their backcourt guys. They, they bring in Marcus Carr, who was maybe the most sought after grad transfer on the market during the offseason. And everyone's thinking Texas is rising, Texas Tech's falling. And the reverse has kind of been true. Uh, I mean, they played last week in what was a a very hyped game, just because it was Beard coming back to Lubbock and the Texas Tech fans. There was no like, "Hey, thanks for the memories, Chris." Signs oh, or like no, they,
0: that was brutal. You hey, you, I mean, you feared
1: for his safety a little bit when you saw the videos. It no, was uh, yeah. hostile, uh, but they I and mean, they basically took it to Texas from start to finish in that game. And I think a lot of people now are, are looking at this team and saying, you know, Mark Adams was. Chris Beard's right-hand man during these years where they were so good, he gets the job at Texas Tech. It doesn't seem like the Red Raiders have fallen off. In fact, they're probably a step above where they were last year. How much credit does Mark Adams deserve for the, the all the credit that Chris Beard has been getting for last season? That, that's going to be a storyline that I think continues to develop as the season and further seasons go on. But they've been uh, tremendous. They, they almost beat Kansas uh, in Allen Fieldhouse a couple of weeks ago, lost in double overtime, have not lost a game since then. They pummeled a good Mississippi state team in the big 12 sec challenge won the game against Texas. They've got, uh, they get, uh, I think a fairly friendly schedule to end the regular season. They're, they're really good. And to be quite frank, I I did not see that coming at all. Uh, one other team that I, I think I could throw out there is, uh, I think Baylor being as formidable as they have given everything that they lost from last year's team just goes to show that Scott drew, this isn't a flash in the pan type deal. They're here to stay. They're they're going to be national title contenders for as long as he's at the helm. And I, I know they haven't played as great as in recent weeks as they had the first two months or so out of the season, but I still think them being as good as they are right now, given how much they lost from last year's national title team is at least a little bit of a surprise to me.
0: You know, I, th- this is this is not a new or original point, but looking at how Baylor and looking at how Texas Tech have been able to still compete at such a high level despite roster attrition and coaching changes, I would imagine would, should terrify any of these new teams that are coming into the Big 12. And it's not like those are – I mean, Houston is an amazing team right now too. BYU struggled a lot the last two weeks, but we're competing at a, at a tournament level. Looking at what that league might look like in two or three years, I mean, that's – 10 teams that are capable of making an ncaa tournament every year 11 like that's the depth bringing in looking at those new squads seems outrageous right yeah that's
1: been the thing about the big 12 in recent years is as strong as they've been at the top with teams like kansas and then you know texas tech in recent years and a couple of um the other teams that have had fantastic seasons here or there their biggest strength has always been it feels like when you're playing the team that's like ninth or 10th in the conference standings you're still playing a team that has an ncaa tournament hope or that if they played in a different league would be an ncaa tournament type team and there's just no easy games in in that conference especially since you know you get a guy like jamie dixon who gets forced out of pit takes over tcu makes them formidable right away they've done a great job at uh really investing into basketball in that conference I, i think the head coaches that they have have been have worked out tremendously and you're right now you add in some more proud basketball centric institutions i mean houston is another team that i could have thrown out there and when you asked about teams that have surprised they've been ravaged by injuries they lost a a decent amount from last year's final four team and they're pretty much right where they've been the last four years they're 20 and 2 right now kelvin sampson just continues to get it done i think they're a top five team on ken palm i believe they're number four and there's nobody really in the American that's that, that's stepping up and challenging them. Everybody thought it was going to be Memphis. It has not been Go Memphis, in. to put it lightly. Uh, Cincinnati, I think West Miller's going to get it done there, but he's still a year or two away from having the type of talent that he needs to be a uh, legitimate challenger. It's Houston's conference right now, and it's going to be probably until they leave. So at the Big 12, great basketball conference right now, only going to get better. Let's
0: talk about Memphis for a second. You know, because right this this was the program that, as I understood it, came in with really high expectations. They had done an, an absolutely outstanding job recruiting. They won the NIT recently. It seemed like there was a, always a gap between what was possible at that program and what had actually happened. And now they, I mean, they, they look bad, right? Like Capital B bad. I know, I know, there's been some injuries. I know this team is young, but is was is there something else here that's happened? Is it just a, is the roster fit not, not constructed? Is, should we? Uh, should we be giving up on penny hardaway i, I saw the, the the exchange you have with local reporters a couple of days ago that um definitely seemed to convey a deeper sense of frustration than might be expected
1: as uh, many countries have found out over the years when you stage a coup to have a semi-hostile takeover <laughs> it doesn't always work out great like, like the, uh, the the reasons behind the coup that seemed fine at the time uh, sometimes wind up wind up blowing up in your face a little bit, and I think that's what you've seen with Memphis. And like, who's not really that strong of a word to talk no, about what I, happened I, with Benny Hardaway.
0: As, as a Louisville guy and as somebody that follows the SEC a lot, that's exactly the right word. You know all about palace intrigue. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, for those for people
1: listening who don't really know the situation with Memphis, you know, you have you go from Josh Pastner, who's I mean the least Memphis person of all time. I I, I can't think of a worse fit for any position in college basketball than Josh Pastner at Memphis. But he has a degree of success there. They go to the NCAA tournament. They win a game uh, at least once. Then you hand the reins over to Tubby Smith, who's a national title-winning coach at Kentucky, um, long resume. And he's his issue is he's not getting along with the powers that be in the Memphis basketball world. He, he sends uh, Dedrick and Kendrick Lawson's dad off the staff they wind up transferring to to Kansas, and they both have a lot of success there. And then yeah. the bigger issue for him is Memphis has this once-in-a-generation level of talent coming up through its high school ranks. They're all playing for Penny Hardaway on the AAU circuit. None of them want to play for Tubby Smith because he has not, I don't know, handled the AAU circuit well, has not become friends with the right people, doesn't say the right things. Sure. And so people behind closed doors are kind of like, we got to get this guy out. we got to get – Penny Hardaway there so we don't miss out on all this five-star talent that's right there in our backyard that happens the five-star talent comes James Wiseman plays precisely two games before he gets into NCAA trouble and decides I don't need this I'm going to go ahead and make millions of dollars to play this game and uh, that's what happens the other guys haven't panned out they've taken a bunch of high-profile graduate transfers who just haven't clicked and Hardaway has not been able to connect with this team and he hasn't been able to get any guys to gel and when I say this team, I don't specifically mean this year's team. It's really all of his teams. And I know they've had some bad breaks with injuries, and the team a few years ago with Wiseman would have been different if he'd been just allowed to play uh, normally. But still, the problems definitely seem to be stacking up. The, the the cons seem to be outweighing the pros when it comes to the Hardaway era at Memphis. Maybe he gets one more year to try to prove something, but it felt like this was kind of the show-me season, and they're not really showing anybody anything. Outside of, um, I think a lot of preconceived notions of
0: how this was going to go from national media members.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to
0: think because, like, while some of the specifics here are very unique to Memphis, you know, Penny is a capital M Memphis guy, and it's it's a little uncommon to have you know that note that sheer amount of talent within a two or three year period in one kind of mid sized city. But the idea of uh, corporate boosters and local AAU programs and athletic apparel companies and you know local legend all not being on the same page. Seems like that's happened numerous times. Uh, and trying to kind of rebuild a roster with high-profile grad transfers with promising freshmen, like that's a playbook that a lot of college basketball coaches use. Is, is, do you think there's anything from the Memphis situation that could be applied elsewhere? Or is this just a combination of very specific Memphis things that have caused that not to work out?
1: I think it's a little bit of everything because on paper, there's no reason why this shouldn't be able to work. Um, You've got Amani Bates who had been hailed as the, the next LeBron when he was 15. And I I mean, he brought a lot of baggage and I think you're seeing now, I mean, the dad taking over the situation, is he hurt? Is he not hurt? Is he playing like all that stuff is just, It easily, so. like Tom Izzo avoided it at Michigan State, and I think that they're all feeling good about it. But even without Amani Bates, you've got Jalen Duran who's probably going to be a top ten pick in the NBA draft. You've got um, some like, like normal transfers, like everybody. Like Landers Nolly was Virginia Tech's uh, best player a couple of years ago as a freshman. He should be killing it. He's been just kind of like oh, okay. Um, Lester Canoas is a guy who's been in that program for a few years now. Earl Timberlake was a big time prospect coming out of high school. Like they've got guys. They just haven't been able to, to get it all to work. And I think what we've seen in recent years is that we probably, and this pains me as a Louisville fan to say, but we probably should have been giving more credit to guys like John Calipari who've been able to get all this five-star talent in the same place at the same time and somehow convince them all to put team above self. Because, yeah. I mean, the stack gets brought up all the time about how little Anthony Davis scored when he was on that 2012 Kentucky national title team. He took like the, the sixth most shots of anybody on that team and didn't complain, didn't do any of that stuff. And he's gone on to have a, you know, a decent NBA career. He's been pretty good. And I I think that you're seeing like with Calipari and coach K convincing all of these five-star talents with five-star egos to put team above self, it doesn't work everywhere like that. I mean, you had uh, maybe the most glaring example LSU a few years ago with Johnny Jones, when they get Ben Simmons and they get uh, Antonio Blakeney and they get all these uh, five-star guys together and they're talking, we're guaranteeing a national title or whatever. And by the end of the season, they are acting like they actively are throwing their sec tournament game because they're just ready for the season to end. I think they lost like 78 to 20 to Texas A&M in that game. And uh, they turned down the NIT bid and it's just, it doesn't work everywhere. If you don't have the right person at the head of that, you know, program, it's just going to fall apart. And Penny Hardaway has not, given us any reason to believe that he's the right program to be able to get this to work, um, with the playbook that he's using right now.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I completely agree. This is something that we said a fair amount with, with about Nick Saban. And I, I think the Cal example, I think is, is particularly apt because it's not just how do I meld all of these five star high profile athletes, um, with big egos and, and legitimate, you know, aspirations to play professionally very quickly to, um, Maybe take a back seat, or become role players, or, or 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 be okay with limited minutes, which is something that happens on the football side too. But also, how do you manage all of these other warring factions? I've used the 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 the, the dictator coup example before as well. I think I've, I've talked about you know Yugoslavia's Tito, right? About how to keep your freshmen and your sophomores and your boosters and your money people and your administration and everybody working together, which is really hard to do. And, wow. and, and, and it seems like at a place where it'd be very easy for that to fall apart, like at Kentucky and maybe where that has sometimes fallen apart at Louisville, it, it's worked, but you, you, it takes an enormous, um, like a, I don't want to say cult of personality, but I'm, I'm kind of saying that a little bit that just not everybody has, right? Like Chris Mack might be a good example of somebody who clearly wasn't wired that way in that particular market. Right.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the thing that coaches are running into now is, you know, it used to be, the summer bonding tours that you did, whether you, you know, you take the kids to the lake or you have a, a foreign exhibition tour, it was all about getting the older returning players to mesh with the incoming freshmen, right? The you're yeah. bringing it. Now you've got this weird dynamic where it's the younger players meshing with the older players who have been there for a while. And then also fellow older players who have been at sometimes two or three different programs already yeah. coming in and trying to get them to mesh with the, with, with, with both those groups. So it's, it's different now than it used to be as, as recently as five, six years ago. And it's, it's a challenge. And I think some coaches have kind of figured it out. I think also coaches are, are trying to figure out the best way to recruit given the, the transfer portal and it changing the game. And I think you're seeing a lot of coaches saying, at least at the, the, the power program saying, I'll take one or two five-star kids. If we feel like they're the right fit for our program but I also want to go with like a back end top 100 kid, maybe a four star player more in the top 75 range who I feel like can, we can keep in our program for two or three years. Who, who doesn't just want to be playing professionally a year from now. I think you've seen Mike Krzyzewski do that a little bit after some of the issues that he had when they started going uh, the, the one and done John Calipari Kentucky route. Uh, yeah. He's now started taking more back end four star players just to have that guy that he can build and, and kind of have lead in these in these circumstances when you're bringing in both new players who are old and young you want a guy who knows the Duke way or the Kentucky way or the North Carolina way who can pass that on because when you don't have that player which Memphis doesn't really have right now LSU did not have that four seasons ago it's it it can fall apart pretty quickly because there's nobody to tell them about this is what we do this is what the culture is this is the way it goes and when you don't have that it's just everybody kind of doing their own thing and sometimes it works most times it doesn't.
0: Yeah, and and the, the most effective programs, I think, will always tell you that has to come from the athletes themselves rather than the doughy middle-aged assistant who comes in yeah. who hasn't built those relationships. And I know that the the trope, as especially come tournament time, is that this can be an advantage for mid-major programs where you might not have the same amount of roster attrition. You might be an older team. I think we've all seen the future accountant, a fifth-year senior point guard, who suddenly lights up, and then that's how you know a big a big sky team ends up you know, winning the thirteen-four game uh looking this year i mean illinois uh, the loyola is still it looks like comp- competing at a very high level it's, It seems to be one of the better murray state teams uh even without Ja here in the, the past couple of years are, are there any other um mid-major programs that the col- the hipster in your life should get on board with now so then they they can uh they can be the smartest guy in the room in a couple of weeks right, murray's
1: fantastic they're ranked in the top 25 for the first time in, in a while i know that they're all celebrating their matt mcmahon is one of the best young head coaches in all of college basketball. It would not be shocked if this time uh, a year from now, he's coaching a a power conference program or at least a, one of those sort of a 10 American. Well, I mean, Hey, they're going to be, they're
0: going to be a Missouri Valley team in a little bit. So that's that, true. You're, you're, true. You, got, you got a chance here to kind of step in and take over Loyola's
1: spot. And the the Valley's fantastic this year. It's not all just Loyola. I mean, those, if you watch uh, Arch Madness, I think is my favorite, uh, conference tournament. It's sort of like the king of the mid-major tournaments. And those semifinals this year, I think are going to be just outstanding because Loyola is terrific. Uh, Drake is very good. Missouri state is very good. Uh, Northern Iowa, uh, I think is a good team. Like there are teams in that conference that can beat Loyola Chicago. But if you're looking at other, maybe potential darling Cinderella teams, Belmont, who is, it seems like they've won at least 20 games every single year for the last two decades. We have to throw out,
0: gotta do it. Iona and Rick Pitino, uh, this, this, the- this, this is this this is true. Although they they finally lost the game, but they they were they've been outstanding all season, right?
1: They they had been eleven zero in the MAAC. They uh, beat Alabama in their early season tournament, and they actually just got knocked off by a Niagara, who is coached by former syracuse football sensation greg Paulus, uh a former maybe more known by some people as a duke point guard i know him as a louisville assistant for one year after rick patino got fired and we had that
0: makeshift staff so <laughs> no it was he, i think he got a cup of coffee at ohio state too if i remember he, right. he did he, he was yeah. there
1: before he went to louisville so i was like it's a budding rivalry the louisville coach and the old louisville assistant even though i don't think that rick patino ever knew that greg Paulus even coached at louisville uh, <laughs> probably before last week but i own his fantastic i love i mentioned them earlier uh, San Francisco out of the West Coast Conference. I love uh, Todd Golden. They call it Nerdball. He took over for Kyle Smith, who went on to Washington State. They yeah. are very analytics heavy. Um, I think they're fun to watch because of that. The other night they were playing in a, a close game. They were up by two with seven seconds left. The uh, I think they were playing Pepperdine or it was either Pepperdine or Portland, whoever it was. They fouled San Francisco with the lead, fouled with 7.7 seconds to put the other team on the line because they fouled a free throw shooter. They looked at it and they said, You know, the analytics tell us this guy's probably not going to make both free throws. And even if he does, we have the ball with a chance to win the game. If we let them hold it, they have a chance to take a three and win the game. We're going to take out the possibility of us losing in regulation. And it worked out. Kid made the first free throw, missed the second San Francisco wins the game. Um, Todd Golden is very good with stuff like that. I think that makes them fun to watch. The thing that I hate is that he's younger than
0: me. I don't, don't, don't care for that at all. Uh, I was, I was about to ask about that because Paulus has to be about our age too. And this, this is starting to happen when more and more coaches are, are are stepping in, in their early to mid thirties. And I, I have the same thing. It sucks. Like,
1: I don't like it. I mean, in the Super Bowl, we got Sean friggin' McVeigh, who's, you know, it's one thing if you're younger than I am. It, it's another if you're more successful and a thousand times better looking. Like, you, you can't have all of that. I, I just, no. I can't cheer for the Rams. And then they took Matt Stafford from my line. So I, I can't cheer for the Rams. I've got to have to I, go with the Bengals. I forgot, just you of Lions.
0: I forgot you were a Lions fan. This, this...
1: Uh-huh. Lions and Reds. So when, when Wobble's not rolling in sports, which I don't know if you've been following the news recently, <laughs> I don't exactly have a pro team to turn to no. uh, the, uh, the two teams in the big three leagues in American sports that have gone the longest without advancing in the playoffs. Number one, the Detroit Lions, number two, the Cincinnati Reds. So know how to pick them. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, look, look, man. I, I mean, I was, I was a Cleveland guy for a long time. <laughs> I, 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 get it, Um rooting for team sports is stupid and we shouldn't raise our children to do it. I, I think that was like the, the theme of my last conversation there with, uh, with, 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 Brian. Um, this, so th- this, I, I guess my, my, maybe my last question um, as a dumb outsider from following the sport from afar for a while, the, the kind of running meme was the PAC 12 was no longer a power conference. It had, it had devolved into intramurals. It could, you know, it's, it's a two bid league kind of thing. And clearly we see at, at the top, there's some really strong teams Maybe some other teams that, that historically have been a little bit better are, are struggling a little bit. Is there, does, does this league suck? Is it good? Is there a reason to be optimistic about the future? Uh, w- w- tell us what we should think about the uh, the league that's playing when we all go to bed. I think there's ab- absolutely reasons to be optimistic. And that's been, okay.
1: you know, the, the big debate for the last, I don't know, several years has been which is going to happen first because you got these two lengthy droughts in college basketball. A West coast team has not won the national title since all the way back in 97 when Arizona upset Kentucky and a big 10 team ha- hasn't won the national title since 2000 when Michigan state did it. So there's this whole, which is going to happen first, West coast champion, big 10 champion, both have certainly strong chances to break those streaks this year. I think the same was true last year. Yeah, I feel like works. the, the West coast streak probably a stronger chance of being broken because you've got the pack 12 teams and you've also got Gonzaga, which technically counts. But I, I think that you, if you're a fan of the Pac-12, you have to be encouraged by what Mick Cronin's done in a limited amount of time at UCLA. You have to be encouraged by, assuming he stays put, what Andy Enfield's doing at USC right now. And then the big thing is how quickly Arizona's bounced back from its, uh, shall we say, issues. Uh, you know, They go out there, they hire Tommy Lloyd, who was the, the longtime right-hand man for Mark Few at Gonzaga. And he's he's crushing it. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the country. They're in the mix for a number one seed. Yeah, um, they had that down year last year. They finally made the decision to go ahead and part ways with Sean Miller before the NCAA probably forced their hand and, and made them. It seems like it's paying off. We'll see what happens when they hear from the IRP, which I believe is set to happen sometime in you know 2045. I, I think that that's the timeline right now. Uh, we don't know. I, I don't know if the IRP actually exists. I don't know if they're doing anything. Uh, if they do and they are, then Arizona will receive a punishment word.
0: I don't know. Sometime uh, in the next year, I, you would I, guess. I, no, I, I, Good I, Lord. I, but I, they're wrong right now. Allegedly before the heat death of the universe, I, I was you know talking to a couple of ADs and, and folks at the NCAA convention about, um, you know, what enforcement might look like in a, a post new constitutional world. The one thing that everybody, P5, G5, one triple you know, Chicago state kind of program, everybody agrees the current enforcement mechanism sucks and this new system that we thought was, you know, that the, all these blue ribbon panels agreed on somehow sucks even more. Um, it's,
1: it's awful. I mean, y- yeah. you look at um, here in Louisville. I mean, Louisville fans are hoping that the fact that the program has cleaned house is going to help them with the NCAA deal. We've, we've cleaned house like five times at this point. I mean, we've got, we've. <laughs> That's what what again. I mean, it's, it's, it's in the floorboards, man. Like, and, and, <laughs> I know, Memphis
0: is kind of like that. We used to joke that USC and Texas were kind of like that. Like, if you change presidents, ADs, and coaches, and there's still issues, then I don't know what else you can do. You, it's, not, it's not like you, you can change your fans, you can't yeah. change your boosters. I, I, I was a little bit encouraged that the
1: IRP, when they came out of the NC State ruling, which was lenient, I, I think most people would agree no postseason ban, no real long term ramifications. They said, One of our goals is we don't want to punish people who had nothing to do with that, which I think is a strong step in the right direction. I get that you can't let universities completely skate. I've always, I've never really understood why you don't just hit these schools in their pocketbooks as opposed to, you know, punishing players who. I mean, the the kids at Louisville right now, incoming freshmen next year who potentially could miss the NCAA tournament if the IRP says no, they were like in, in fifth grade when this was happening. The, the FBI stuff was first coming out. Like they have no yeah. recollection of this even being a news story. Um, and you know, Louisville's had—they're about to have their third different president since this started. They're about to have their second different athletic director, and they're—if you want to count the interim coach David Padgett, their third different men's basketball head coach. They're even talking about bringing Tom George back. So the the guy who was there I, when I, this all started I, might I, be I, back.
0: I Listen, this is the great thing about college sports, right? Is that we are incapable of having new arguments. <laughs> exactly. We change the protagonists and the numbers, and sometimes we don't even do those we're we're just going to reboot it which is i think both great for you because content but also terrible i was talking with i I talked with mark ennis about this a couple days ago god i just want you guys to have a boring week um never 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 uh mike but before i let you go here you know have have there been is there anything i I forgot either a major storyline a major player a major program that, that you've seen from this season that maybe a casual person should be aware of I don't know how many you know casual
1: fans are aware of this but the head coach at Duke has actually been there for a long time his name is very difficult to spell it's difficult to say i'm going to try to get it right i, I believe it he's flying over the show. radar yeah
0: i didn't even bother bringing this up because I, I figured who would potentially be interested in a in a private school in the in the research triangle
1: yeah i mean and, and, you know they're having an okay year but it is his last season so that's something of note um, eventually i think that's something that probably the major networks are going to pick up on After the Super Bowl, they'll probably start paying attention to the fact that it's Coach K's last year, but that would be be the one thing that I would throw out there. Um, The ACC being awful, if we're being serious, uh, is probably a storyline that I think a lot of people are going to pick up on. Duke is good. Um, They're a legitimate, I think, top 10 team and a legitimate national title contender. There's nobody else in the ACC that I think is even top 25 good. Carolina, in its first year under Hubert Davis, has been a a big disappointment. Virginia, even though they're – per usual under Tony Bennett getting stronger as the year goes on is not what they've been in years past. Virginia tech, massive disappointment. Um, Wake Forest is actually maybe the second best team in the conference, which is, has shocked everybody props to see Forbes getting it done in, in year two there. But the ACC it's got Duke and it's got really nobody that I think is going to be a top I don't know five, six seed, maybe not a top six seed after them. It, it is as bad as the ACC has been. And that's something that I think maybe the 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 football centric fan who tunes into college basketball after the Super Bowl is going to be really surprised by when they start uh, locking in here in a couple weeks.
0: This is a great point, and just goes to show how uh, deranged extra points brain I've picked up here when, when I'm talking with you. And my first thought is, you know, let's talk about the Pac-12's depth, and forgetting of course, <laughs> <laughs> that the Premier League in college basketball has been has been complete dog crap. You know, outside of the, the top one or two teams, this is the ACC football joke, right? Like, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, it Georgia Tech uh Notre Dame Miami have all been it seems like pretty pretty significant disappointments what it's going to be what 3 bit league 2 uh, league? I think they probably end up getting 4 I mean Notre Dame
1: is, is hitting their stride Notre Dame actually is leading the conference right now which is sort of uh, I mean, it's it's shocking it would be funny you this know there's much. been this whole there's been this whole thing with Duke where they've been the preseason favorite to win the ACC in 9 of the last 11 years and they've won the ACC in zero of those 11 years it's been this trend and if they don't get yeah. it done this year uh in coach case final season have you guys heard about this um then it's it would be a shocker because they're, they're really the only i think legitimate national title contender in this field miami's been a little bit of an overachiever um but I mean, there's just there, there's nobody else good in the conference there, there's not it's been a it, it's woeful and it's always as bad at the at the bottom as it usually is bc's is bad pitch bad louisville is is tanking they're not helping things uh clearly um yeah. syracuse is just okay although i'm sure they'll zombie wait their way into the first four and then make a run to the sweet 16 i know the the,
0: the the world's worst play yeah. in 12 seed because yeah. they somehow won the league every time and yeah i hate watching them yeah if they get in though if
1: they're in that first four or they're in as an 11 seed don't even think about it don't don't look at the opponent don't worry about it pencil them into the second weekend because they're winning at least two games every single year. It happens.
0: Yep. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us. Uh, for our listeners, where can they be find, where can they find the stuff that you're producing right now? Uh, cardchronicle.com for all your Louisville-centric stuff.
1: I'll have some more college basketball stuff there uh, as we get into the postseason as well. Uh, at Card Chronicle on Twitter. You can also uh, listen to the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 The Sports Buzz. Uh, at, 14, at 1450 Big X on Twitter is the uh, the Twitter account there if
0: you want to catch podcasts. So uh, all that good stuff floating around there all the time. You bet. We'll, we'll throw in a couple more links to those in the show notes. Uh, Mike, hey, thanks again. We uh, we appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the season. And uh, and uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that Coach K, fella. See if anything <laughs> interesting happens there. Of course, Matt. Thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah, yeah no problem. Thank you. Uh, this show, of course, is presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel. Uh, Home Field Apparel uh, makes the most comfortable, the most unique, the best – Officially licensed collegiate sports apparel. I'm wearing a Marquette hoodie right now. My home office is freezing because I live in Chicago and it's a basement and it's freezing there. Uh, So I basically will wear one of these things at all times. If they made a home-fueled, officially licensed sports coat, I'd wear that. Or maybe a a leather jacket or some kind of winter parka or something. They don't have those, but they do have these extremely comfortable soft hoodies. And look what this great design, right? I, I mean, everyone looks good in baby blue even a guy who's got a face made for podcasting like me. Uh, I didn't go to Marquette. I've been there once or twice, but I'm I'm about stealing valor, uh, university valor here on on this show. Uh, You can get a bunch of other hoodies, whether that's Louisville, whether that's um, Gonzaga, uh, uh, whether that's Alabama, all kinds of big programs. They're also debuting a new program every week uh, for the next couple of weeks as part of their big new Saturday season three uh, last week, they debuted South Carolina's collection, which was wonderful. This week, uh, NC State, a, a, a basketball school, a, a school with, with a bunch of really cool vintage Wolfpacky logos. Um, so I think it's really the, the program's biggest win in a couple of decades, as far as I'm concerned. And you want to make sure you grab all of that, and, and uh, whether that's a hoodie, whether that's a t shirt, whether that's the world's most comfortable sweatpants, you want to get the best collegiate licensed apparel you can, you can find in the vintage, unique logos that everyone else forgot about, but not you, because you are cultured and handsome. Uh, save 15% off your first order by going to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code Extra Points at checkout to get 15% off, help support this program, help support Brian and I's degenerate home field addictions, help us stay comfortable, warm, and wearing uh, wonderful logos from schools that we did not attend. Uh, You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at MattBrownEP. You can follow uh, Extra Points at www.extrapointsnb.com. We've uh, been doing some new website rebranding and some tweaks there that I think that you will enjoy. And of course, you can continue to find this show twice a week for free. Um, on this feed. If you are not subscribed on Spotify or iTunes or, uh, or whatever other, other device you, or network you get your podcast, I'm sure we're on that. Uh, be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoy this show, leave us that five-star rating. Uh, tell your friends, let people know because that helps us continue to make new shows and continue to tell other people too, that they should advertise on this show so we can afford to buy more home fit stuff. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll have Brian back on here the next episode. We'll catch up with you later on this week.